Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of PC Gaming Classics, aka the Backer Page Podcast. I am Phil Evanyuk and with me, as always, is my longtime friend and esteemed games journalist, the Alex Turner of UK Games Journalism. It's Jeremy Peel, everyone. Hello, Jeremy. Hello. I thought you were introducing me as Alex then. I thought you'd forgotten <laughs> my name. Hello, everyone. Hello, Phil. You all right? Um, I'm, I'm all right, thanks, mate. Yeah, I'm trying to make that a thing that, that you're the Alex Turner of. Um, uh, yeah, you've of said it more than once. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if I keep <laughs> saying it, maybe someone else will at some point. Um, Jeremy, how are you? First of all, what's been going on in in your life and your world and your career? Uh, I'm good. I'm coming out the end of a of a cold. That's very exciting to oh. hear about. Yeah, and, well, tell um, me more. Uh, yeah, it's it's, it's not lingered. even one or just sort of a chesty cough or. It's one of those that's travelled, you know. Um, yeah. I think it began as more of a sinus type thing. At a certain sure. point, it was in the throat. Um, yeah, I've been I've been tracking its <laughs> movements. It's been uh, slow burn. Um, yeah, and I'm still playing XCOM. Wow. Because I dropped that yeah. like like a hot potato once that episode was done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still in the same campaign. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's um, I, f- I feel like I'm nearing the end. I feel like I'm actually going to get there. Um, of the cold or, or the XCOM campaign. Both. Both. They go. They've gone hand in hand. Both slow burn. One needs to happen before the other. Uncomfortable experiences. Yeah. Mm. Um. But yeah, I can't say too much about how XCOM's going because I'm writing something on it for Edge and I know um, uh, Alex Spencer of, of Edge will be listening and uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll lose my commission if I... If He's I made you sign an NDA, spill it he? all here, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they have a tough enough job with people downloading the PDFs, don't they? They don't need you spilling the beans on your Edge feature before it even goes to print. <laughs> yeah, or just putting all the scores of an issue into a Reddit thread. And yeah, then, yeah. Uh, people just just <laughs> raging over them without any context. That's what that's what the uh, editors of Edge enjoy. Not yeah, <laughs> just boiling down a, a month's incredibly hard work into just like a few bullet points. And then, yeah, um, I used to I used to sort of take it as a bit of a compliment when I was on official PlayStation mag. If like if we ever got mentioned in NeoGaf or you know the likes of that, I was like, well, at least people are reading it. You know, someone's bought a copy. <laughs> if they, if it they is, put it is actually up. like, yeah, tangible effort in the way that just linking something through the internet isn't to actually buy a magazine and find the relevant bits and then type them into your computer for the consumption of others. Like that does involve an element of caring, doesn't it? It's edifying because you you really feel like you're just throwing the world the words down a black hole sometimes on a mag because there isn't that in, instant engagement. Incidentally. We used to also play this game um, where, like, you would we'd also we'd buy in all the rival mags from outside future when I, when I worked at various mags in future, and they would come in and then you'd play a game where you'd like try to guess the review scores in each issue, and you would always <laughs> like make a point of all the scores being wrong, and we used we did this with Games TM actually when probably when Samuel was on there. And um, <laughs> it's just such a sort of puerile bit of bit of playground. They'd be like, "Oh, he never got what they're given Saints Row the Third. Go on, six. Oh, we gave it a five. Oh, they're so wrong." <laughs> they just do that page for page, and just feel like, "Oh, we got it all right." And uh, you know, 
somehow. Yeah. That makes them, uh, all, all those scores are, are empirically incorrect. And I'm sure yeah. that GamesTM were doing the exact same thing. Oh, the latest OPM's in. This will be a good laugh. Let's see. Same to the third. <laughs> Six. Are you mad? <laughs> I missed that uh, direct comparison uh, between mags. Like, I know when I mm. was just trying to get into games journalism and there was a month where I bought like every UK games mag. Um, wow. And this was, you know, fairly shortly before a bunch of them closed down. But I was reading, you know, the same previews or different takes on the same um, preview opportunities to the point where I could tell which information they each got from the same event and how they'd used it differently, which is a sort of level of, you know, almost creepy analysis of of games journalism that I hope readers don't normally do, but... I do kind of miss that ability to kind of see like, oh, you know, Edge has done this with it, PC Game has done this with it, and, uh, you know, official Xbox Mag's done that, uh, because they're often all drawing from the same material. Yeah, access was super limited, um, certainly in my day, um, like the sort of late 20, well, all of the 2010s, really. Um, yeah, the access mm-hmm. was just nothing. Like you'd be writing a tiny preview off of like a press release. Basically, this is something that Matt Lee's used to talk about. How he would notice that the wording of those press releases just gets in your brain, and then he would see the exact wording pop up in previews everywhere. Like I think yeah. the, um, I think for Dishonored, the first Dishonored, like how many times have you read Supernatural Assassin or In the Darkness? There was something about the way the press release talked about the quad wielding mechanic in the darkness too i mean these are quite deep cuts that i'm referencing here you know yeah <laughs> admittedly <laughs> but that wording just seeps into your brain and like you've you know you've only got that information in the press release and some screenshots to try and weave this like um essentially this lie that you've like <laughs> you've gone and played the game and spoken to the devs and um and so you yeah you notice that the the wording of those press releases just pops up all over the place and um and it does work. That's like it's like the oh. same madman, isn't it, Jeremy? That's the the thing. The best thing about advertising is that people think it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll tell you what the weirdest example of that was that I've noticed is. Uh, uh, can you help me remember the name of this game? The something of Ethan Carter. The vanishing of Ethan Carter. The vanishing, uh, yes. By the the astronauts, um, is that what they're called? Adrian. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've backed myself into a corner here because I'm not. A hundred percent sure. It's a Polish surname you're trying to pronounce there. Yeah, Adrian Kmeliarts. Kme- oh God, I'm no, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to look it up. I'm so sorry, Adrian. Okay. Kmeliarts, I would say. Yeah. Some, if if anybody is, uh, yeah, if anybody's Polish or speaks Polish that that listens, then uh, get in touch on the Discord and let us know if I'm pronouncing that right or not. Kmeliarts. Yeah, do carry on. Um, do carry yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, he's he's quite a controversial figure now for his his. Uh, he is his internet based opinions. Very unfortunately. much so. Um, but at the time, that wasn't really the case, and um, you know, I was one of many people who reviewed that game. And I remember in the the intro to that game, it gives you a sort of text, black screen, white text. Uh, this game won't hold your hand effectively is what it says Mm. and i remember that appearing in the intros of multiple reviews 
And I felt <laughs> yeah, like it was yeah. like a, a form of brainwashing because it was like it was not a particularly complex or difficult game. You know, it's a walking simulator. Like it has its moments of puzzle or what have you, but you know, it was it's basically just fed to us and people would then come out with it. <laughs> so that yeah. I think that was the most egregious example of that that I can remember because it didn't really match what the experience was. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to close down this tab of pictures of Adrian Camille Arts now because it's not pertinent to this episode. We're going to be talking this episode. We haven't mentioned yet. This episode's about Jurassic Park Trespasser, Jeremy. I'm so excited yes. about this one. It's the um, definitely the most divisive of all the games we've covered so far. And there is a particular backstory to this, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even... Putting this game under the tight, you know, under the banner of a series called PC Gaming Classics is controversial. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but it is fascinating. Yeah, so this is um, obviously it's a it's a licensed game based on Jurassic Park, but it's not really like any other Jurassic Park game you could play. It's it was um, directed by Seamus Blackley. And uh, Austin Grossman was lead designer, and these are both people who had come from Looking Glass, and um, you know worked an early on on System Shock One, and they, Seamus Blackley in particular, was uh, you know a physics genius, still is, right? <laughs> yeah, um... it's not something that you sort of um, that you lose over time, is it? <laughs> no, and now he's 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 known as the the father of Xbox, right? He's he was kind of instrumental in in making uh, that console happen in the beginning. Um, but back then, yeah, he would, he was the guy who, and I've been interviewing some people from Looking Glass recently for something about uh, System Shock and writing for Rock Paper Shotgun, and um, and a few of the people I talked to mentioned Seamus and him, like he would just in his uh, office, he would have a simulation of a bouncing ball that just kind of mm. ran perpetually that he would work on endlessly because that was <laughs> like the fundamental simulation, right? The, yeah. the, the, he was just obsessed with cracking like this perfect realistic physics simulation. Uh, he worked on Flight Unlimited, which is um, Looking Glass's Looking um, Glass's best game. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> it might be to be honest for for all i know about it i just i, I always think yeah. of it as like the outlier right because looking guys is obviously famed for all those incredible im sims and and then there's just like oh let's make a flight sim in the midst of it all yeah and it makes sense you know it's like it's it's the same kind of approach to like oh let's simulate how this avatar moves in as perfect a fashion as we can but instead of a human body obviously it's a it's a plane and there are stories of him working on that and you know a tester doing something like flying a plane in a certain position and it's stalling or something and him ringing up like a um a world-class pilot he knew to confirm like if you do this in this plane does this happen and they'd be like oh yeah yeah he's like okay great <laughs> <laughs> like that was the kind of level he was operating on and all of that developing by telephone yeah and all of that energy and obsession came to trespasser right I, i'll let you pick up the story there phil sure um well the the most important bit of backstory as far as this podcast is concerned 
is that Trespasser was essentially like the swing vote in the PC gaming 90s draft uh, in in our parent podcast, The Back Page. Mm. Um, so when Samuel and Matthew were, were divvying up the, the classic 90s games, Matthew went with Trespasser and it ended up sort of winning him the entire draft, uh, much, to, much to Samuel's chagrin. And uh, I believe we have a clip of it. I mean, talking like we're doing it live. <laughs> what we'll do is hours or perhaps days after recording this, drop in a clip. Uh, of that happening, which you will hear now. So we come to my last pick, Matthew. Well, I've got my wild card. Oh, sorry. Yeah, of course you got one last pick. Sorry. Uh, what to do with this? This is a tricky one because, like, please pick Minesweeper. <laughs> <laughs> what is a true wild card? What is really odd? I'm, I tell you what, I'm going to pick. I'm going to pick the Grand Folly that was Jurassic Park Trespasser. I'm going to pick the Grand Folly that was Jurassic Park Trespasser. Grand Folly that was Jurassic Park Trespasser. And there it was. What what a moment. (laughs) That was a particularly funny episode. I think because Matthew felt a little out of his depth um, with the the kind of early PC stuff. Although I maintain that, that... Matthew's out of his depth is still, um, you know, other people's expertise. It's just he, he holds himself to yeah. a higher standard <laughs> than, than anyone else I know. Um, but yeah, yeah. like, uh, it is funny that, like, Trespasser came up in that context when it's um, more notorious than famous, I would say, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's... Um, and, you know, the... The, the personal context for me is that I, oh, God, I was obsessed with Jurassic Park and particularly the Lost World. So it was just, it was an open goal for me. So I was actually really shocked that its reputation was as uh, as divisive. <laughs> like it was sort of critically mauled. And I was like, what are you on about? It's, it's Jurassic Park. <laughs> um, but yeah, lots, lots of things. It was a very unusual project um, from uh, in, in terms of how everyone went about it in terms of how it was staffed so this was dreamworks interactive um which came about because steven spielberg um i think watched was watching his son play goldeneye and was like yeah these video games they're going somewhere you know (laughs) so maybe we should pay attention to video games um so you know being steven spielberg he was like just let's just chuck a few million into uh into a video game studio and that was um uh, an extremely um, brief and perhaps not very accurate version of how DreamWorks Interactive came to be. It's probably best known for for starting Medal of Honor, which in turn, you know, is, is the forefather of COD, and so one of the most uh, influential and important moments in the games industry. But before that, uh, <laughs> they um, <laughs> managed to to secure uh, Seamus Blackley specifically managed to secure a, a movie tie-in deal for the upcoming um, Jurassic Park sequel. So this was originally supposed to be the, the Lost World, the game. Um, and it, it it ultimately buckled under the weight of its ambition, and that's what makes it such a, a fascinating game is because it was so unusual, and it's almost a bit of outsider art, not to say that um, you know Austin Grossman and Seamus Blackley are, are outsiders by any means, but some of the 
the other you know senior members of the team had come from from all over the place from um from disney essentially you know more like um well people involved in in building disney world and uh and in animating and illustrating the movies mm. um so just fascinating and it's jurassic park as well isn't it <laughs> and so i'm i'm just uh, absolutely buzzing for this one and i think it's going to be maybe the most interesting like 90s games court that we've done so far um because previously they really have all been absolute classics and there's not really much like ongoing debate about whether they're whether they're actually any good or not everyone's like yeah do you know what you know system shock 2 is really good I don't I don't know yeah. anyone. I mean we both know Ben Barrett. Shout out to Ben Barrett who is the um the absolute custodian of um uh I don't want to say contrarian opinions Jeremy. That's not quite fair, is it? But he looks at games in a different way and I don't think he truly believes that any good games were made before 2003. But I've not even heard Ben Barrett um say yeah. that System Shock 2 isn't good or nor any of the other games we've mentioned on this list. However, Trespasser <laughs> doesn't have that same legacy or reputation so it'll be an interesting one um to get into yeah yeah in fact i had ben barrett who was a former colleague of ours at pc games N, uh when i tweeted about XCOM earlier this week he he replied enthusiastically so that's a game from 1994 that he was getting behind um well yeah, I, I wonder if he's been I playing the 2012 version yeah I think that's probably likely. <laughs> and why wouldn't you, really? Unless you had a particular yeah. attachment to I don't think like um Ben's brain and perhaps a lot of people's brains fire off the same like absolute influx of, of serotonin and dopamine when they see like MS DOS graphics as as happens yeah. to our brain chemistry. We are um, unusual like, in that regard. That's certainly true. We are, and I don't know how personally I, I managed to like keep getting work in the industry because all my frames of reference is so wrong (laughs) (laughs) there's there's always Uh, an anniversary coming up right all of these things are coming up to their like 20th year anniversary so uh, yeah remasters and retrospectives that's my brain (laughs) absolutely Um, well so let's let's get a little bit into um, into the story of this so Critically, when it arrived, it was absolutely panned. It didn't sell very well either, uh, which was a bit of a disaster because it had gone over budget and way past schedule several times. So this really was um, the end for <laughs> certainly any like franchise ideas. But I think it was also the beginning of... like This came out in 1998, and it was probably one of the games that informed a more risk-averse and sensible games industry going forward it started to become less feasible to just throw ideas into a big bucket and you know see what comes out and see if it sells so october 28th uh 1998 this made it out the uh the lost world came out the lost world movie came out in i think may 1997 so you know that's bad isn't it like (laughs) i was stressing recently because um I'd I'd done a particular review and there'd been like some problems with the code and then a bit of a miscommunication. And, you know, in the end, the review that I submitted was, you know, a couple of weeks after the fact. I felt terrible about it. Um, But I mean, that's nothing compared. (laughs) It's nothing compared. Like, do you have that Lost World game, guys? Because um, it's it would like it's going to 
cinema. Like it's going to be in cinemas in May. So like, how are you getting on with it? Is yeah. it done? And they're like, hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, getting there, getting there. Um, did you want it actually like in May when it's? Uh, well, yeah, ideally. Okay. Well, <laughs> what if we? What if we don't call it like the Lost World? What if we release it a year and a half afterwards? And um, yeah. I mean, I I said to you, didn't know on WhatsApp that it it feels it absolutely stinks of a game that uh, these numbers won't be accurate, but it feels like it was prototyped intensely for four years and then level designed <laughs> for four months. Like it feels yeah. like the actual game bit was thrown together after like an incredibly beautiful and long experimental period, whereas actually those you know those periods probably should have been. <laughs> the ratio should have been a little more even. <laughs> probably. Probably. So, yeah, they had the movie license. And I think, actually, ultimately, they used that movie license quite well. Uh, because I'm, I'm not sure I would have wanted to play through, like, to be Jeff Goldblum and, you know, or, or to be Julianne Moore and, like, to be, you know just replaying the scenes from the movie, I think it's more interesting. So in this game, sure. you play a plane crash survivor who just happens to wash up after the, her plane crashes on the shores of Isla Sorna, which, of course, is Site B, uh, where InGen have been breeding all the dinosaurs that they then ship over to the neighbouring Isla Nublar, part of the Cinco Muertes, the five deaths, he says. <laughs> um, they call the islands the Cinco Muertes. What, what, what does that mean? Five deaths, he says. Uh, where, where you know, where Jurassic Park itself, the tourist-facing bit of the business, was based. So, and and this is just after everyone has already shipped out and the project has been abandoned, which is, you know, a canny bit of you know resource saving from a development perspective, because it means yeah. there are no humans to have to animate and and very little dialogue. Um, yeah, it does... which by the way is is exactly how System Shock worked, right? Like they'd, they'd come off yeah, that, yeah. and that was built to be, um, you know, this fictional world where it made sense that there weren't any NPCs and nobody was easily contactable, um, and that's that's exactly how Trespasser works as well. Your goal is to ultimately contact. Um, help you know find a way off the place but there's there's nobody there and it has this really sort of it's quite compelling lonely atmosphere um i would say like obviously there's an aspect to jurassic park which is um rollicking adventure and sort of um grandeur and excitement of um seeing dinosaurs roaming about and I don't know if Dresspasser quite captures that. It's going for something a little sideways. <laughs> it's um, it's, yeah. it's more of a, a sort of uh, uh, slightly terrifying trek through um, to, through an abandoned space. You know, I think it in, would probably in some make respects, much, it, uh, where there yeah. are just it, it's hours and hours of almost silence and just slightly empty, openish worlds. Yeah. 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 Um, that's that's what it feels like, and we're used to that now. But like, in in '98, we were the expectation was if it's a first person perspective, there's got there's got to be rollicking adventure. Um, so it, it felt very yeah. sparse at the time, and it was 
probably disappointing to a lot of people that there weren't any there weren't any other humans there were no drivable in-gen jeeps or anything like that and it was like the show had sort of packed up and left long before the game begins which yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think you're absolutely right that that is the 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 same setup in system shock plenty of games have used that um to to great effect i think because what's left in in the absence of other people and and rollicking adventure is so sparse it's obviously uh, doesn't work quite as well in trespasser yeah it did occur to me as well speaking of ethan carter that this um you know desperate uh shootouts with velociraptors aside this plays and feels like a walking simulator as we it understand does. them today like yeah. the so the setup for the the way the story works is that um the protagonist Anne she figures out where she is because by this time there's been you know um whole public investigations into the disaster of Jurassic Park and and John Hammond is kind of this notorious um figure who who got this thing terribly wrong and she's read his memoir at some point and as she roams about this place passages of this she's she's got a very strong memory and <laughs> passages <laughs> from uh, from john hammond's memoir come unbidden into her head and they just sort of play in richard attenborough's voice and i really like that aspect of the game actually like i think um so it's written by austin grossman who um is now a novelist i happen to be reading one of his currently which is uh called crooked and it's a supernatural oh. thing, but it's it's written from the perspective of Richard Nixon, and um, right. <laughs> Austin has this real talent for kind of um, writing in the voice of deeply flawed, um, but kind of honestly flawed characters who kind of own up to their mistakes, um, and that's quite like a really kind of alluring headspace to to enter into, and he did exactly the same thing with John Hammond where he's kind of he's in this very reflective mode of like talking about uh, what we did with Jurassic Park and and he's kind of um you can hear the pride in this kind of like whimsical recollections about things they were working on and he doesn't gloss over you know what went wrong either and he's he's kind of thinking about how he was almost one of the like the great figures of the 20th century but instead became one of its most uh you know horrendous <laughs> failures instead you know um made had, had funded and, and pushed to make these incredible breakthroughs happen in in bringing back um extinct creatures um and then kind of lost control of the whole thing and yeah, that those I don't know about you, but like I ended up looking forward to those little snippets of uh, Richard Attenborough mumbling over the over the action, especially when I had to walk long distances over terrain at quite slow pace. Well, exactly, it's it's feast or famine, isn't it? So when when like it, usually it happens when you you crest a hill, you see a new area in front of you, and some music kicks in, and you're like, oh my god, like something new is is about to happen maybe this is where the game starts um but like <laughs> incredible production values right like you know for for all the flaws in the game itself mechanically and and structurally there's there's a there's a score behind all of those memoirs as you hear them from um 
from Hammond that is like cinema quality. And I don't know whether even it's uh, a bit of John. It can't be John Williams, can it? No, the composer. The composer was Bill Brown, but he does a fantastic John Williams impression. It feels <laughs> it feels of a piece with the Lost World and the original Jurassic Park scores, and and the instrumentation is like there are some returning motifs and uh, that sort of mimic um, the the dinosaur sounds right in in the score. Yeah. Like it sort of sounds sounds like roars, and and uh, it's incredibly evocative. And like you know, again. Only Spielberg could make this happen, but the the memoirs that you're hearing, the recollections you're hearing from from Hammond, that's that's the, you know Dickie Attenborough, just <laughs> the, yeah. the real guy, <laughs> and uh, and Annie, the um, the the castaway on the island, is is Minnie Driver, which you know yeah. it just it just wouldn't happen um, these days, or certainly not. And she puts in a, a strong performance as well. It's like unusually good. Um results for nice celebrity castings isn't it yeah ab- absolutely i think i've heard some people um some people slate mini drivers performance in this game but i think it's great i think it is very like very earnest it really draws you into um to her experience and i yeah uh, in- incredible i yeah, think I it's uh, i think you're absolutely right that there's a, a bit of walking sim uh, about it all and uh yeah i'd like to I'd like to take that to uh, the Chinese room and see if they <laughs> they recognise a direct yeah. lineage between Trespasser and, and Dear Esther, because um, yeah, yeah, certainly the um, Jessica Curry's score and the little dash of reverb on the on the uh, narration in Dear Esther, yeah, it's, it's all there. I yeah. can see a through line. It's it's impossible when you're playing this game. It's impossible not to sort of cast forward, partly because it's so unrealized and and messy in this form. But you you're constantly going, oh, this is doing stuff that Far Cry did, but a few years earlier. And um, uh, yeah, I forget what else well, I was going to say about it. But we, well, we've already <laughs> we've already talked about you know. Um... Not just walking sims, but like survival sims. We'll get onto the physics and how that works later on. But yeah. it's been, you know, often sort of described as walking so that Half Life Two could run. So it, there is yeah, a ton of, of influence in here. Failing to think of, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I remember Austin Grossman saying that he went to a talk that um, one of the the Half Life Two developers did years later, and and it was uncanny, like the that they'd encountered all the same kind of problems and, and attempted to solve all the same problems in making like these physics puzzles and obviously more successfully at Valve. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, um, it is uncanny at points. And you're like, oh yeah, this is, this is something that everywhere you look in, um, in Trespasser, there's something that was done 
more successfully later and that nobody else was thinking to do in 1998, let alone 96 or uh, God knows when they actually started on this project. Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that they didn't know um, not to do it. Right again, it's that sort of uh, sort of outsider art thing. I think a team of really experienced game designers would know, like this is never going to work. This ambition is too lofty; it needs to be cut from the features early doors. But um, I, I was reading there's a, there's a really good post mortem from about ninety eight or ninety nine from one of the senior dev team, you know, about <laughs> what went wrong essentially. Um, and you know what they talk about is that a lot of the people um, at DreamWorks weren't experienced game devs, so they just didn't know that it was madness to try and get a working physics model up and running, or you know, or that the structure would wouldn't work for a game of this type. And they also they pivoted quite late on. It was supposed to be a bit of a survival horror experience uh, for a while, and then they pivoted right. in and and removed the horror elements from it, like very late on again you probably wouldn't do it that way you wouldn't make such a high level wide-reaching conceptual change you know months before shipping if it was a team who were just like you know had 20 games already under their belts so for example the the art director terry azumi uh was a designer at uh tomorrowland which is like part of it's a a disney world um kingdom uh and uh one of one of the animators i will say the dinosaurs are fantastically animated for the time um but the the animator there george edwards was um an animator from from the disney movies so it was a lot of people like from the wider disney family like getting involved in this this jurassic park thing and not knowing what the outer limits were like the possibilities of the medium and I'll get into it later on in the podcast, but that's why I love it really. And I would always rather, as I've said before, I'd always rather a game tries and fails these things. And I'll put up with all sorts of shonky mechanics if there's some sense of atmosphere and immersion and place. And I think they did achieve yeah. that. I think there is a sense of place here. Um, yeah. But critics at the time didn't. I remember that the PC Gamer review, who was it that reviewed it? I can't remember, but the score was 68%. And I was pretty outraged by that because I was... you know 12 and obsessed with the lost world jurassic park and i was like what are you talking about like i'm I'm in i'm on an island and there are velociraptors i I simply don't understand um but that was probably the median uh response was like fives and sixes across the board yeah and i think we've talked about before like industry wisdom now is to innovate on one or two fronts you know like pick our mechanic that you are boldly going where others have never gone before with or you are taking forward ever so slightly and that's that tends to result in more polished and finished feeling games uh it also results in a lot of games that aren't remembered and uh mm. trespasser is remembered because it did nothing no, nothing it does was done the same way in in uh in other games of the period you know like um, obviously, we're going to get to talk about the the arm and, uh, <laughs> and the way you sort of pick up objects in the world. But there's even just like the interface, there's no, there's nothing on screen. It's entirely diegetic within the fiction of the world. So when you pick up a gun or switch to it, and will say oh, six bullets or feels half full, and mm. 
to check on her health. She has a notoriously a, a tattoo, a heart tattoo, or, uh, kind of above her left breast. So you look down, you can see a body, and uh, and if it's kind of filled in with red, then you're in trouble. Um, and if it's white, you're okay. And health regenerates, which was also a thing that wasn't popularized until Halo years later. Yeah. Um, no health packs it's just dotted around. No health packs. Um, it's just, and and you know, games like um, Dead Space and Mirror's Edge and Peter Jackson's King Kong would all all do pretty <laughs> amazing things with those ideas, but not until, uh, in some cases, ten years later or you know, eight years later. So these are all like, in my head, these are all great ideas. Like I would not dispute a single one of them. Um, as an idea, but throwing them all in one game when so much of it was unproven at the time is, uh, by today's standards, just is madness. It's it's not how games are made. Only you would find a way to mention Peter Jackson's King Kong in, uh, <laughs> in another <laughs> it reminds episode. Me of it quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, fair play. I'll give you a pass on that one. Um, well, we'll, we'll get into our, our personal experiences with this as ever. We've, uh, we've replayed it, uh, with our modern minds and, uh, we'll regale you with the tales of, uh, of those experiences. Uh, but it's the time in the uh, episode where we go into review wars. Um, I'm yeah. stumbling because I'm thinking, do we need to talk about like, uh, the Patreon, the discord, your Patreon? Do we need to do that before we get into review wars? Let's, um, um Let's let's gear gate a little bit. Do you have any uh, any Patreon announcements, Jeremy? Because we in the last episode you you were toying with the idea of setting up a Patreon for your your own work. So this is separate to the podcast. This is just if you enjoy Jeremy's writing, and why wouldn't you? It's not always about Peter Jackson's King Kong. Um, yeah. Then there was you know there's an idea of setting some, something up for uh, for those supporters. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to set up a Patreon for my own writing. Um, as as of now, it still isn't out there, but I'm inching closer to uh, to setting that live, making that happen. And it's good. It's good you prompted me to mention it because I'm working on the basis that the more people I tell about it, um, I, I just have to do it then, don't I? Because it's too embarrassing um, to not go <laughs> through with it if I've told everyone. Um, exactly. But I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm excited to do it. And yeah, so uh, at some point soon, keep an eye out. There'll be a the Peel Perspective uh patreon where you can um you can get exclusive articles from me about you know often about sort of um classic pc games but also just um whatever games sort of fascinate me and um yeah i'm going to build on that do sort of regular newsletters rounding up all the stuff i've written um for other places in that particular month and uh yeah, newsletters um, are really back you know, in vogue for some reason. Like marketing is all about newsletters now. It's, I, I think yeah. newsletters is a bit of an early two thousands thing. But this, yeah, everyone's into newsletters, and I think that's really smart for, like, uh, just accumulating all your best work in a given month. Because like, yeah, we write a lot. You know, <laughs> in order to sort of uh, make half a living as a as a freelance games writer, you actually put out a lot of content in a given month. So there's like. You can cherry pick some some really good stuff. Um, yeah, in a in a year, either one of us, could, we could in a year, either one of us could fill a magazine, couldn't we? Just like purely with our own <laughs> work. Oh Jesus! Like, yeah, but, 
but it, it that's not how um, yeah it's not how you tend to think about it or you know because it gets filed out to different places um, so yeah I think it'll be it'll be good and healthy to be able to point out like where all my stuff is and uh, and talk around it a little bit the context of it and uh, and my thoughts on some of it and yeah and if if it's successful enough that I can keep going with it um, then I'll I'll do more you know do more per month so my hope is it is that it might be something that can grow a little bit over time so if you if you are interested in the development of that plan then you can follow jeremy at jeremy d peel on twitter um that's not that's not my twitter name that's not it (laughs) is it not jeremy d peel jeremy underscore peel why have i put a d in there are you thinking of um my email address uh, oh, give well, my yeah. email address to everyone. <laughs> <laughs> if you're interested, you can visit Jeremy's home at uh, 49 <laughs> Walkers Rise. <laughs> Just knock on the door day or night and he'll be happy to give you an update. Uh, sorry yeah. for that data breach. Uh, Jeremy, <laughs> Jeremy <laughs> underscore peel at twitter.com. Is that right? Is that how you do Twitter? <laughs> No, you just no. It's I think you you put in Twitter. Do you say it into? Do you you have to ask Siri? Siri, show me Jeremy. Social media illiterate. (laughs) Okay, Google, show me Jeremy D Peel on Twitter. (laughs) Nothing. Um, I love this about you. (laughs) Or (laughs) my day job is making social media content as well. I'm putting it on for, for effect. Um, or you can, uh, you know, keep uh, keeping the loop on the the back page uh, Discord as well, where um, yeah. where we also get some lovely messages uh, from people who've enjoyed the previous episodes, yeah. and some of those, Jeremy, mm-hmm. I'll go through now because it's always nice and it strokes our egos. Um, for example, Bjorn says, uh, "Might be my affinity for the game speaking, but the XCOM episode is the best PC gaming classics yet." Do hope you folks keep the series going after Trespasser. Uh, well, good news, Bjorn. We're definitely keeping going after Trespasser because we have um, a series finale, which is uh, Quake versus Half Life. We're not. It's truth be told, I'm not. I don't think we're quite mm. decided how to go about that yet. Like it's, um, you know, it's the end of the series. It's two massive games, and we're deliberating whether to have a special guest in or not. Even though we haven't done that so far in the series, um, but it will yeah, be good. It's already so there's at least it's like the. It's like the Sam Raimi Spider-Man Three, where he's got like too many villains, like already fitting two games, <laughs> and it's going to be busy. But I think it's going to be great. Yeah. Um, so there'll definitely be that, and uh, yeah, you know, truth be told, we haven't really um, figured it out yet. Like we we enjoy doing these, and I think we'd like to keep doing them. So. Um, yeah. We'll yeah, we we'll have like figured it out, something. and we'll have something to say by Good. the end of the. Um, the Half-Life versus Quake episode, basically, won't we? Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to. Um, <laughs> we'll have to figure it out then. <laughs> also, shout out to your production skills, Jeremy. Uh, Bjorn continued. Uh, says, also, not sure if you tinkered with the audio, but it was coming in much clearer than the previous app. Um, so, oh, well good. done there. I'm, uh, I'm learning on also, the job. Yeah. Uh, we also have one from um, hmm, Koig, Soig, C-O-Y-G. Um, who says yep. he's belatedly finishing the PC Gaming Classics episode on XCOM. Just wanted to pop in here and say that the Run the Jewels segment is one of the most chaotically 
chaotic yet brilliant things ever put out under the BPP stable. Please feel free to print this endorsement wow. off on era-appropriate continuous form printer paper and hand it to Phil in person. Well, jokes <laughs> on you, well, I mean, colleague, now's as good a time. because here I am. <laughs> I, uh, now's as good a time to mention as any that uh, you won the um, the vote this time on Review Wars. And my, I, I um, my feeling is that Run the Jewels run, won that for you. I feel yeah, like... so I, I, yeah, I feel bad about it. Because I mean, my... I mean, you shouldn't you shouldn't feel bad. We didn't give listeners um, a venue to vote on how much they loved. Um, Jewel never believe it. In fact, was the name of the, uh, the segment, wasn't it? But yeah, um... I think "Run the Jewels" is a better pun, isn't it? <laughs> in the end. Uh... <laughs> but that was such a crescendo late in the episode that uh, that I, I I think you were rightly rewarded for it, even if. Even if you you effectively had two shots at the uh, at victory <laughs> in that episode, you put in the extra effort. You were you recorded versions of stroke songs um, with lyrics about uh, <laughs> quotes from Julian Gollop talking about crustacean men in Phoenix Point. Uh, so I think uh, I think that's very well earned. If that if that is indeed why you won. <laughs> well. Spoilers, uh, I'm looking in the G Drive folder where we put our Review Wars um, audio clips uh, to listen to as, as we make these episodes, and there are additional things, and I can see the name Ralph Fiennes. So Jeremy has uh, taken that um, <laughs> that approach from uh, that, that won me the back page Review War last episode and um, and seems to have run with it. And, and, and so I'm feeling nervous about about review wars this episode because I've just it's one simple WAV file and it's not great. And I uh, I was telling <laughs> I'm telling you early one this morning, wasn't I? I woke up at six thirty this morning and realised that I hadn't done a review war or thought about it, um, and so had to <laughs> had to very hurriedly yeah. uh, put something together. So the odds are stacked against me this month. I guess so. Yeah, I, I want. I don't want to play up the the extracurricular material I brought brought with me this time, but uh, I thought it was about time I did. So, uh, well, you wouldn't do. We'll would see. You? Then it minimised the uh, impact if we if we really shone light on it. But um, I wanted to first um, point out a comment from uh, from Moncton as well, which I really enjoyed. Um, which he, he gave us our perspective as a as a Gen Xer. And uh, for him, uh, you know, a big Laser Squad fan, a big fan of Julian Gollop's early stuff um, in 8-bit on the Amiga and ST, XCOM was like a a, a generational shift for him. You know, it went isometric, oh. gone from a few scenarios in uh, turn-based battle to this entire globe of action where you could land a ship anywhere and you might get desert and you might get jungle and you might get whatever, and that was astonishing. It came out in the same weekend as Ultima 8, he points out, and wow. with a 19-year-old's pay packet just stretching enough, I bought both. Ultima 8 was a bit oh. of a disaster, but UFO was a fucking triumph. I didn't even begrudge yeah, the dogfighting bits. Yeah. After yeah. actual years replaying the same favourite Laser Squad scenarios, there were eight in total, I think, UFO was just incredible. Such an expansion on a truly fabulous core. And then he he's, he's added a little diss at the end. And it really wasn't that difficult if you've been through Laser Squad. Gen X condescending apologia intensifies. So yeah, it's a little uh, 
little attack on us struggling through XCOM on its uh, beginner setting. Uh, I think that's is fair. Tough. <laughs> Who was that from again? I enjoyed that. That was uh, from Moncton. Moncton, thank you very much. Um, yeah, it's evocative to imagine popping down the shops and just seeing those two like pretty seminal or at least quite famous releases that just happened to be out the same week. And be like, well, weekend yeah. sorted then. I just I guess I'll play them. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Um, okay, well, if anyone isn't familiar with the concept of Review Wars yet uh, in this podcast, this is where Jeremy and I do battle in the form of um, audio landscapes uh, in which we... Mm. we narrate the opening paragraph of a re- the review of this game that you um you had you 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 could you do- as if it's always been difficult to describe hasn't it maybe it's just that i do it in a funny way we imagine if we've been commissioned <laughs> by the gaming mags of the day to write the review for this game that would be incredible wish fulfillment and then and so we then we write that intro to that review and then we jazz it up with it because this is a podcast with a bit of audio or music yeah. or whatever so that it sounds interesting. That's basically the concept, right? Yeah, yeah. The intro to a 1998 review um, that's also a bit of a performance because audio, yeah. <laughs> I It makes sense when you hear it. <laughs> well, I'm not sure it always does, does it? But it seems to be enjoyable at least. <laughs> because I always have yeah. a... I mean, uh, my my approach has wavered wildly from episode to episode, whereas yours has always been pretty much on brief. You deliver something that's like annoyingly a really good bit of writing and like full of insight, and you're like, oh, fuck's sake, you know. Uh, and then so I just try and we're like, well, how can I shoehorn a funny accent or like do a bit of like production and try and win it that way? I've taken a different uh, approach this this month. <laughs> well, so have I. I've, um, I've done a fill this month. So. Oh, fantastic. Good. So the roles are reversed. <laughs> Who went first yeah. last time? I, uh, I think I went first last time, didn't I? So um, the rules dictate okay. that you have you have the floor, Jeremy, um, for That's this fine. one. So what would you like to? How would you like to introduce this one? Um, uh, I would say that um, it's um, a piece for the stage. There are three parts. <laughs> And uh, I've performed all of them. Okay. Well, it sounds, uh, appropriately enough, very ambitious. Will it, like (laughs) Trespasser, buckle under the weight of that ambition and just be a sort of interesting curio? (laughs) Or will it finally win the acclaim and sales that um, that Trespasser didn't? Um, Let's find out as we listen to Jeremy's entry for the Jurassic Park Trespasser Review Wars. Lord, forgive DreamWorks Interactive, for they know not what they do. Yes, forgive them all, Lord, for the... Well, for the weird arm, there's no other way to put it. They've invented a weird arm for their game, Jurassic Park Trespasser. They have created a body that is not in your image, O Lord, but rather a perversion of our human limbs. Arms that cannot be steered sensibly nor clasped together in prayer. 
'Tis an abomination. It's true, O Lord. Forgive them too, for the hubris have created a free-roaming island that was impossible to render properly. When the prophet Ezekiel described to us the Garden of Eden, he said nothing about the texture popping. Lord, forgive Seamus Blackley for his obsessive commitment to physics. The lost sheep of DreamWorks Interactive have abandoned faith in favour of science, and their new religion has led them astray. The puzzles aren't so bad, oh lord, but the movement speed alone is surely a crime against humanity. My shotgun got stuck in the floor more than once. Forgive the level designers, oh lord, for scattering keycards around the island, for those keycards are tiny and their placement total bullshit. Yes, Lord, the only door they should be seeking to open is the gate to heaven. Forgive Steven Spielberg for backing the release of such a project when so many of its ideas are clearly unrealised. Indeed, if art seeks to pay tribute to the divine, then this half-empty canvas is an insult to the Almighty. Although, in mitigation, O oh Lord, might we consider Trespasser's female protagonist and surprisingly well-composed story. In many ways, it may be ahead of its time, marred by the technology of its era, but going on to inspire ever more wonderful works of art. Bollocks! Lord, he, he speaks to us. The light, it's blinding. Lord, tell us what to make of the diegetic user interface. Diegetic? It's diabolical is what it is. I wouldn't be surprised if this game was bankrolled by him downstairs. Surely not, so, Lord. He's his, had his hands full making Diablo. Oh, I don't know. I can't see everything, can I? You can't, oh Lord? Uh, never mind that. Get back to your prayers and all those good works you do. I'm off to buy Half-Life. Cheerio! Uh, uh, bye, Lord. Um... Uh, for thine is the kingdom, uh, is it, is it a kingdom the power, the power and, the glory, and the glory forever and ever. And ever. Amen. Amen. What is half-life? And how does it square with eternal life? I don't know. We're going to have to update the books, aren't we? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Why did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, uh, I honestly thought I'd, I thought something had gone wrong and I thought I'd like alt-tabbed and brought up Divinity or something and it was like playing <laughs> like some, some NPC dialogue. <laughs> well, that's, that's wow. gone well if, uh, if you think it's, there's been a mistake when you play the latest was, review war. I'm sort of, I'm, I'm equal parts, like I've barely laughed during that. I feel a little bit scared of you now somehow and I'm not sure why. <laughs> <laughs> oh... <laughs> It was great. The uh, the key cards, the key cards play their placement. Total bullshit. Was uh, incredibly <laughs> well done. Uh, <laughs> I've got to got to thank uh, Dibco of Freesound.org for the uh, the choir background there, which I think was recorded in a Slovenian church, as far as <laughs> okay, I can tell. Sure. Yeah, it was um, very very um, Norfolk Knights. The uh, <laughs> the production of that. Oh wow! Yeah. I mean, listen. I know I say it every week, but you've won review. Like, listen, everybody, 
just vote for Jeremy this week because that was extraordinary. Like, well, we'll and, see. And plus, we oh, haven't yeah. even heard these rate Ralph Fiennes dot wavs yet. I mean, who knows what they're going to contain? But honestly, I'm not going to be offended. I won't throw a hissy fit. Uh, just, <laughs> just vote for that one because it's extraordinary. Mine is very meat and potato potatoes, Jeremy. Um, it's exactly what you would think to do if you woke up at six thirty. On the mo- on the morning of <laughs> recording the podcast, and we're like, oh shit, I've got to do a, a review wars for Trespasser. Imagine that. Imagine where your mind would go, what you'd think, and then listen to this and go, yeah, that is what I would do as well. So, um, <laughs> without further ado, um, apologies um, for my uh, humiliating entry this month into the Jurassic Park Trespasser review wars. Well, do you know what? Since since I have an extra bit of time <laughs> to make some excuses, I would say my approach this time was like, because I've always envied the fact that yours do actually work as reviews, intros. And I thought oh, it'd be good to have a go at doing that. But then I thought <laughs> the thing is about yours, though, is that you've always got the actual insights and they're always like, oh, yeah, I suppose the game is like that. And, the, you know, these new ways of looking at it and like good criticism. And I'm not really going to be able to do that. But I thought I can at least structure it so that it <laughs> sounds like I'm doing that. And that if you don't listen to it twice, you can just sort of let it pass and be like, oh, Phil's done like a review intro that time. So I was trying to do that. But then I also like, you know, a leopard can't change its spots. So like I did still do a funny voice because <laughs> that's all I know. Like uh, <laughs> so that's the only positive reinforcement that I've had. So it's a mixture of those two things. And I think it only really, I think it would have probably only really worked if I'd have gone first and you don't really you just let it wash over you without really engaging with it so um right. please enjoy this is a this is a pre-mortem then i guess <laughs> yeah, exactly. you're already analyzing why exactly i mean you always downplay your abilities um you know you, you like me you're you're selling your insights month after month and uh it's a great effect so i'm uh i'm more confident in this than you are well well let's you know let's just see let's just see okay uh this is my review war something has survived that was the tagline the lost world jurassic park used on its movie posters in 97 but it's just as fitting here in the world of trespasser an island where good ideas lay abandoned where the original intention of making a Lost World game departed long ago, and where one lone plane crash survivor roams, shooting raptors by the dozen with an outstretched, hyper-extended arm. Here's a game made by movie animators and theme park designers, a game that tries to implement realistic physics behaviour, but doesn't know how to lay out a level. It ran over budget and sailed past deadlines time and again. They spared no expense. And yet, here it is, still making it to the shop shelves, long after the movie it was meant as a tie-in for has gone to VHS. Just like Isla Sorna, it feels like a place the smart science minds long ago departed, whose incredible potential will never be fulfilled now. But it does, at least, endure. Screw Jeff Goldblum and Julianne Moore. If you want to see something that survived against all the odds, look to Jurassic Park Trespasser. Welcome to Tragic Park. 
<laughs> there we go. That was Billy Connolly doing uh, the review intro for uh, <laughs> my nineties game review. Very nice. Um, I think that's legit, isn't yeah. it? Because it, it's not Richard Attenborough's accent either. So, <laughs> yeah, I was actually you know. trying to do. I know it sounds defensive to say this, but I can do a better Scottish accent than that. I'm specifically trying to do Dickie Attenborough's slightly off Scottish accent. Um, yeah, and, I mean, and I, arguably you know, yours is just is is just uh, in the the ways in which yours isn't quite his is uh, just the ways in which they're more like an actual Scottish accent. So I don't think you need to feel bad about that. That was great. I, that is a great like. I mean, you say it's obvious, but that analogy—the uh, the abandoned dreams of Jurassic Park, and the saving true of trespasser—that is a very strong angle for a review intro. And I would definitely, if I was actually writing one, I would definitely have used that if I had thought of it. But I didn't, and you P- did. Particularly so, if that yeah. was review was due in the morning. And you'd woken up at six thirty that morning and hadn't started the review yet. That is the angle, you do, isn't it? So, um, listen, vote for Jeremy. Uh, please vote for Jeremy because <laughs> because that was. Um, I don't know what he'll do. Do you know what I mean? If he doesn't win, he's gone that weird. I don't know what he'll do. So I, think, I just think it's best for everybody if Jeremy just if wins this if, one. If he's not channeling that weird energy into this, where does it go? And how does that affect <laughs> yeah. people in his life? Uh, yeah, it's just it's, safer honestly, this it's just, way. It's the safest way. Please, please vote for <laughs> please vote for Jeremy. Um, okay, great. Fair. Well, when do you want to do this Ray Fines thing, mate? Oh, it's Ralph Fines, isn't it? Do you want to talk I about the game, or do you want to go straight into? Well, no, let's let's do it because it's it relates to this. Because you know, I've gone I've gone this far. I've basically written a sketch and uh, performing all the parts, and I thought. You know, I don't know Rafe, but through a friend of a friend, put me in contact just to to give me some feedback. You know, nice. just to see how I'm doing, learn from the best because he is the best. Um, so yeah, I, nice of the friend as well to put you in touch. Oh, yeah, I know. Not many I mean, people he, get this he's opportunity. Probably a very busy man, and he wouldn't want to because I, uh, my mate Phil, once um, was given the number of a former BBC children's presenter who became a high-profile radio DJ and television presenter um, on a night out in um, in his uni days. And periodically yeah. he would um, just text her asking if she was coming out. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and it went quite badly wrong. She called him up at work and just like, like listen, stop texting me. This isn't funny. I don't know who's giving you my number. And so I bring it up because wow. the friend who's put you in touch with, with <clears throat> Ray Fines here is, is walking that same line, isn't he? So, it, you know, obviously... He trusts you. Yeah, I don't um, think they're close. I think you know, I don't. I don't want to name the friend, but like they, you know, they have an in in that industry, and I'm, I'm as amazed as anyone that that Rafe has kind of come through for us here and, and given me some some feedback. But like, it's a fantastic you know, I'm really excited about and, it. And, and I haven't I haven't listened it, to this. I saved it for okay, you know, for us to hear together. Sure. Well, I mean, I think it speaks, you know, that friend is obviously absolutely confident that whatever your request, it won't be any waste of, of Rafe's time because, you know, it's such valuable time. And, and so it's important, important work that you've asked him to do. So let's listen to that important, yeah, um, yeah, so, vital yeah. stuff. He's he's full context. Rafe has heard my review or doesn't know anything else. And um, and that's that's how he's coming to this. He's just letting us know. 
his thoughts. Sure. Okay. Well, without further ado, let's um, let's hear from Rafe. Jeremy is talented. He's good. He's very good. But he's not great. He'll never be great. He desperately wants my prestige, my job, my talent. He aspires to greatness, but he'll never achieve it. Like me, at his age, Jeremy has forsaken everything to achieve his goals. Like mine, his life is is pressure. There is no way to avoid the mess. The mess you make of your life, of your body, of your sanity by giving everything you have to pleasing people you will never know. Jeremy, do you like this life, this life that you dreamed about? Wow. It's fair to say you've caught him at uh, a rather inopportune moment by the sounds of it. He sounds in a bit of a bad mood, and I think he's being very... It's not very constructive, is it? How, where am I supposed to take that? Immediate, immediate sort of thoughts. I just, to that? I just don't know. I don't know how I can build on that. Really, it feels more like a. I'm sorry, man. Uh, I don't know. I sort of wish I hadn't asked him. I don't know. It's a lot. Um, it's a real. You downer. know, when somebody like hits a nerve and they hit on like something that feels like a truth that you try not to think about, like. That is what we do. That we we try and we're seeking the approval of people who don't really know us. What's that about? It's, it seems a low blow for him to <sighs> to point that out about us, though, doesn't it? I, I'm just starting out in this, you know, performance log, and uh, I just I just think he could have been a bit more supportive. But he knows he knows you know he knows this trade better than anyone. He knows this is what I need to hear, so I just got to try and take it on the chin, I suppose. Yeah. Well, listen, he's got clout in this industry. I, you know, his review of Boiling Point is still referenced uh, to this day. You know, um, and you know, I bought Command and Conquer: Tiberian Sun on on his recommendation <laughs> magazine. So, um, yeah. you know. Exactly. But I, all I'd say is just take it with a pinch of salt, mate, because he sounds like you've just, I don't know, maybe your, your mutual friends caught him in a bad mood because um, yeah, I, I, it I just mean, seemed a little bit spiky. Yeah, it sounded to me like he was laying out the cutlery for uh, some kind of dinner, so I think he, he was probably busy at the time. <laughs> oh, well, it's, it's difficult to, uh, <laughs> difficult to do anything after that. On. Yeah. yeah, well, let's let's talk about the game for a bit, I suppose, and and you know just see if we can see if we can get past that awful crushing blow from yeah. a major sort of prominent figure um, who yeah. evidently hates at least one of us. Never mind that, though. Let's talk about playing Jurassic Park Trespasser in the year 2023. Um, had you played it before, Jeremy? No. 
No. I mean, it's quite hard to get hold of now, isn't it? It's not one that's yeah. on GOG.com or Steam. There's not really that sort of um, groundswell of, of demand for it to be no. released. So, um, yeah. Even just like and getting it in a form that's playable on modern PCs is it's a little tricky. Yeah, so I, I recommended a website called Trescom, um, which I would also recommend to anybody else who's interested in playing it on on modern machines. It's a a collection of mods, like official uh, developer updates and user patches and community fixes and things. That um, I mean, compared to the the base version of the game, which which is like totally unplayable on on modern hardware, um, it's it's transformative and uh, you can run it in high resolution it looks a little bit weird it was never intended to run at you know 4k um <laughs> but it makes it super playable and and like it doesn't fix the the physics or anything like that but um makes it a lot more stable than uh stable than running the uh the base game so yeah, yeah. If, you, if you're interested in playing it at all then check out trescom uh, you can download everything that you need from there but um okay so you, you came into this absolutely blind um how did you get on yeah uh, I think initially I felt a little nauseated, honestly, just like trying to get to grips with the way your character moves and interacts with the world. So to kind of state the thing that's obvious to people who have played Trespasser, but absolutely would not be if you hadn't come into contact with it, you you play in first person and not only can you see your body when you look down, but you can always see your right arm. As you say, Phil, oh. it's kind of hyper-extended. Imagine if you if you stick your own arm in front of you, the way that looks, and if you weren't able to retract it, but it was instead in a sort of permanent C. Kyle state, and you would just sort of steer it around, you press in the mouse button to, um, to stop moving your head and instead start moving your arm, and you can push it and pull it in different directions and bring it to objects and then right-click on those objects to drag them or pick them up. And so by doing that, you can pick up weapons. You can carry a couple. Of, you can stow one gun, I think, and then pick up another. Um, but you can also, like, pick up rocks, which you might use to, say, like, knock down a crate from a high perch by chucking it at it or, um, or to drag a crate or some kind of... Uh, uh, a door or something that's come off its hinges so that you can build a little bridge over some, um, you know, over a little uh, crevice of some kind. So that's the kind of territory we're in here, um, which in theory, I I really like that kind of like tactility that you get in, um, you know, in immersive sims and games like, uh, Fallout and, and Dishonored, where every item you can see in the world, pretty much, you can go and pick it up and maybe you can chuck it and you can improvise with it in some way. And in some ways, Trespasser is that taken to its kind of illogical extreme where just, you know, just like putting in the um, the numbers uh, to open a locked door on a keypad you have to like drag your arm around and then like prod at the numbers individually and try not to put the ones next to it because then you have to start again. And the physics extends to your movement as well. So 
I don't know if I imagine this, but I'm pretty sure when you go uphill, you are slower than when you're going downhill. Like, it, it is a lot to get to grips with. Um, and it enables all sorts of stuff, but also at the same time, like, that's not actually how you think about using your arm in reality, is it? I think <laughs> going up to an object in a game and pressing X to pick it up or press a button, that's more what um, using your arms in real life is like because, you know, you, it's an automated process. You don't think about mm. what, how am I going to steer my arm to carry out this task unless it's a very sort of uh, particular and unusual task. Um, so moment to moment, it's quite unlike um, the sort of real life it's trying to simulate even though it is technically closer to it, it's um, it's this very granular kind of um, steering your arm around the world, um, and that is that is the main interaction of the game. Everything kind of stems from that. Um, yeah, and I mean shooting is extremely difficult for that reason, and because there isn't any sort of diegetic, yeah. um, there's no HUD, so that means there's no crosshair, yeah. um, <clears throat> and that means. The only way that you can aim at a Velociraptor that, and they move really quickly towards you, is to use the actual yeah. iron sights on on the gun if you have it, um, and and just you know hope for the best. <laughs> and guns yeah. are really uh, guns are quite rare. Ammo is extremely sparse. There's never any replacement ammo for guns. So when when you empty a clip from a yeah. gun, you just have to throw that gun away. Um, and so yeah, combat is incredibly difficult, and it doesn't really reward any previous fps muscle memory or expertise no. because aiming works in a completely different way and you can't really move i've never like circle strafed an enemy while i've been shooting at it you have to basically stand stock still because you're pressing three buttons to like extend the arm uh move that like aim where the the gun is facing and and fire that's too much to also be like circle strafing or doing like quake jumping yeah, to like you, to keep your you're movement creating speed up. another like another point of motion to keep track of and that that would just make it impossible um yeah i did i did end up liking that part of it in the end though like it does it that survival horror element you talked about that they sort of got nervous about and went back on you can still feel that in the the combat mm. the fact that you you have a velociraptor or two kind of making their way towards you and the ai of these dinosaurs is quite a noble as well isn't it like okay is he gonna <laughs> charge me i'm not sure you, you can get a couple of shots off at them and then sometimes they they turn tail and run sometimes they might not maybe they'll change their mind while they're doing that and you're like i don't know what's gonna happen here and you <laughs> yeah, think yeah. like you're very conscious of the fact i've got four bullets in this shotgun and the it can you, you get really incredible sort of desperate moments where Velociraptor charges you and knock into your weapon so that you kind of end up firing off to the side and then you're desperately trying to steer like around the bulk of this dinosaur. Perhaps it'll knock the gun out of your hand and then you're like crouching and literally just grasping to try and pick it up off the floor and mm -hmm. um Sometimes they'll like they'll thrust too hard in your direction and like they'll spear themselves on the gun, <laughs> yeah, or like a melee weapon of some kind. And like 
all those moments are like it's all incredibly clumsy but it does have a sort of like truthful desperation to it that that sort of captures what you think it would be like to show up on an island and just try try your best to like best these creatures which are designed um for mauling and for tearing you apart um yeah just totally unlike any other combat in in any certainly any other game that i've played and and yeah so that does lead to these like these completely unique little anecdotes where like oh in the end you know a box fell on its head and that was <laughs> that was what saved me or like yeah. <laughs> you know i just i was just braining it with a rock in the end because i i you know fired my shotgun at the ground six times um I, yeah I, you know i I still love this game loads. I, I've got to say, uh, when I first played it, I, I played it before I read the review, so I wasn't coloured at all by the the negative reception around the game, and it was so easy to be oblivious to that in 1998 because unless you'd bought that issue of the Games Mag that you usually read, that was it. And particularly for a game like Trespasser, there wasn't any playground buzz about it. Nobody was going to be like, oh, they only messed up the physics on that Trespasser. Nobody knew what it was. So, in my mind, for a bit of broader context, prior to playing Trespasser, this was my favourite thing to do in 1997. Uh, when when The Lost World came out, I saw it in the cinema, I was absolutely obsessed with it and read the novel as well. I didn't have a computer. All I, in, in, in terms of gaming, all I had was a Game Boy. So what I would do is I would just like uh, play being in The Lost World like in my mind. I would so and it mm. I would I would just like play act it. I'm an only child, um <laughs> for broader context still. So I'd just like I'd be around in my bedroom and I'd uh, I'd just use my imagination. I would sort of supplant myself into the plot of the movie so that in addition to Jeff Goldblum going in to rescue his, his girlfriend Julianne Moore or his ex, I think, um, from this island, I'm there I'm you know, an eleven year old boy from York is also there for some reason. And we're all surviving together. So I would just be like, you know, like coming up with dialect on, uh, dialogue on the fly, like jumping over objects in my house, pretending that I'm on Isla Sauna. And that would that was a source of great joy to me. And that was how I would spend my free time in 1997. So, what you know, in mm. 1998, when suddenly I get a computer and that computer will play a disc that installs a playable virtual version of Isla Sauna on it. I yeah. was... Jesus Christ, that was just all I needed. <laughs> and I just didn't have like Yeah, you were the, in exactly the right the awareness. Place for that. Yeah, I didn't have the awareness that like, oh, this isn't really how it's usually done and like this shooting's pretty shonky and like where's all the like story and where were all the other characters and why is it so sparse? I was just like, Well, it's Jurassic Park. Um so yeah. that was my original experience of it. Uh different to most people's, I would say. What's what that's meant is every time I've gone back to play it, I'm the power of those original incredible memories is always going to outweigh the nagging mechanical uh problems that, that I have with it. And I I wouldn't say I was like any better at it than, than anybody else. I die all the time. I find it a really difficult game. The combat is super challenging. The key cards, as you alluded to, Jeremy feels so precarious because it feels like the sort of game where any object could just fall through the earth at a moment's notice you could just nudge it the wrong way 
it yeah. would go into like an awkward angle the game engine wouldn't know what to do with it and it would just fall clip through the bottom of the floor and then it's gone forever and those those key yeah, cards and you just can't feel protect, like you can't protect important items can you they're just sort of like mm. out in your hand extended in front of you you're trying to navigate doorways and you can't just put them in a in a bag and yeah then, so oh, if you're you, walking you can... around with this important key card if you like knock your elbow on a door, even though you're still holding the button to hold the keycard, it can be knocked out of your hand yeah. and you won't necessarily realise that it has been knocked unless you bring up your hand and hold down control to uh, use the uh, like to pivot your wrist to bring the keycard up to your vision. You don't know whether you're still holding it or not necessarily. So then you might have lost it anywhere along this like quite large area of <laughs> of ground that it's really difficult to find again. Yeah, it's like if you were told, right, you're going on holiday, but you have to carry your passport through the airport out in front of you <laughs> while you head through baggage and security <laughs> and all these busy areas. And like, imagine all the times that that would be knocked from your hand and you were desperately <laughs> scrabbling around to find it again. And it, these key cards, even finding them in the first place, is, is trouble. Oh, because it's... sometimes they're just yeah. like out in John Hammond's garden. You're like, why? Why did he leave his white keycard there? Even in like, in leaving the island in a hurry, this doesn't make um, yeah. environmental sense to me. That that's where I got stuck. I I didn't finish this game first time, um, and and not for years later. I got stuck in Hammond's Hammond's compound, like his mansion, because it's a series yeah. of finding these in-gen key cards and unlocking the next bit until eventually you get. The key card to the well. I think you have to power up uh, a, a generator that unlocks the gate that allows you out of the mansion complex and through into the next area. And I, I just, yeah. I just couldn't find one of the key cards. And then, like that was it. You know, I don't. There was probably like some sort of written walkthrough, but trying to locate a key card based on, you know, just somebody's written text walkthrough who's not, you know, a professional guide writer and it's just made this thing out of the goodness of their own heart. It was impossible. Yeah. So I, I didn't finish it at the time. And it's only probably only with the advent of YouTube that I ever did manage to get past that bit and, and find where the other key cards were. With all of that said, I do think it's kind of a fantastic adventure because it, it really seems to commit to the idea of desolation and being uh, a complete fish out of water in this... Um, not only are you stranded on on an island without any provisions, but like obviously there are dinosaurs, and I've never felt such a keen sense of that in in any other game. And so many games make you feel like like a fish out of water, and that you're an, an interloper on a you know in a hostile yeah. environment. But I've never felt more vulnerable and more um, you know. Uh, perpetually out of my depth and just scrabbling by than than in Trespasser. And then you do get these like brilliant moments of reward where it's another little memoir from John Hammond and then you see like something recognisable from the movie, which again for me was an incredible thrill, like to see the doors of the InGen research labs um, or like helipads that you that you, you sort of see momentarily in the movie. Like that's all the reward that I needed to keep going, um, and and like do horrible box puzzles over broken bits of monorail track for the next hour, like that was fine. Or like <laughs> yeah. every now and again, yeah, there's like, a there's a T Rex. Yeah, 
it does really make you feel there's something about being the awareness of your body that makes you feel that vulnerability isn't there which is something that the original system shot has a little of as well because it has you can feel your your body in that game like when you clamber over something you can you can feel that you're not just a camera on a stick or on wheels as you are in first person Mm. games today like there is something going on under the hood there and yeah you're just very conscious of how how brittle you are um uh the the ending is unnecessarily difficult, I think. Um, <laughs> even at like mm. probably the second time I played through this would have been like the mid 2000s and I'd made it past all the key cards and stuff. But then uh, in order to escape the island, like you've you go along this trail, like tracking down the remnants of InGen because like fairly logically, like you see that there were buildings and you're like, well, there, there have been humans here. Maybe those humans have got a phone. So you're like following their trail and powering on what's left of the infrastructure of the island until mm. you can uh, you can call for help via radio and get uh, a helicopter to to rescue you. But in order to get to the helipad, you need to go through one of the most difficult sections in all of gaming, where you're ascending this like not quite a volcano. It'd be, I guess the, the the lava would have been too hard to render, but like a big, big mountain, <laughs> a big hollow mountain full of raptors. And, yeah, you know, bear in mind all the problems that exist with the combat. It's even like the, the first like raptor encounter when it's just you and a big open area and three guns and one raptor, you make it by, you know, through the skin of your teeth. And by this stage yeah. in the game there's two or three raptors every minute you know you, you you barely make it like 50 paces up this mountain before there's another raptor encounter and so it's yeah. just supremely demanding you need to absolutely master this really broken and unpredictable physics system uh in order to ascend all the way get to the helipad uh, and make it out and I think if I ever come close to disliking the game it's in that final stretch where I'm just constantly reloading having the same fight against raptors and ultimately leaving yeah. it to luck like one raptor will get in the way of another or its tail will sort of swish at it and that will knock it off balance the flip side of that coin is that actually like the physics and animation relating to the dinosaurs themselves is really good and I like when you actually make contact with a dinosaur either when you like you can just sort of like uselessly slap it with your hand if you want and never going to kill it that way but like when you slap it it makes this incredibly uh it's this brilliant bit of foley that just sounds like oh that's that's what a dinosaur's flesh would sound like if i slapped it half-heartedly with my hand and when you hit it with a rock you get a different noise and when you hit it with a shotgun you get this incredible bit of feedback as well and you knock the it doesn't happen so much with pistols, but with bigger, higher caliber weapons like a shotgun, you knock it off balance and you see it like struggle for balance. A bit like those like dog robots, yeah, right? You know, when yeah. you push them over, uh, they try <laughs> to re- re- regain their balance, but then they can't and they fall over. And when they die, they almost like loaf like a cat. <laughs> they just sort of yeah. like flop down on the on the floor like a sort of defeated <laughs> snake raptor hybrid thing and and that's incredibly um that's incredibly satisfying and then you can also like push them off the edges of um of cliffs and mountains and things which is 
which is loads of fun. So I suppose what I'm saying is that even though that bit is broken and obviously just intended to artificially extend the playtime of the game, um, it is quite fun to shoot the dinosaurs in the end. Yeah. In what in what other game can you uh, slap the torso of a velociraptor? I can fit so much of my own flesh inside this thing. Incredible. Yeah, it's like... um, It is really quite something, that skeletal animation thing they've got going on. Sometimes you shoot them, and I think sometimes you can break bones. Like, you'll see them kind of limp um, Mm, in a very sort of simulated fashion. And, yeah, they're, they're in constant motion of, like, the momentum of their last movement. And sometimes when you kill them, you don't realize for a couple of seconds because they're still yeah you know they still have the momentum of their last movement is carrying carrying them forward and you're like oh my oh my god no it's gone it's gone and yeah just the in the interplay between that that simulation and the ai and it being as unusual as it is like it's just not like it's not straightforwardly hostile like they're always dangerous but you're trying to work out like can I just kind of circumvent this one and save some ammo? Uh, have I seen this one off already? Like, you, there's this kind of constant calculation going on, which is like does stand up. Um, but yeah, the, yeah as absolutely. you say, that like that final ascent is is brutal. Um, although in some ways, like it makes more sense than some of the areas early in the game, like because it's it's more linear and straightforward. You're just following this one path up the hillside and yeah. the physics puzzles you come across they're in your way so it makes sense to do them whereas in, in other parts of the game like you've got these fairly open environments and the, the designers don't have anything to fill them with like there's clearly a critical path through every area and besides that it's just sort of like open space and it does feel like incomplete in in level design terms it's quite an odd experience in that way i think that's the weakest aspect of it uh, and i'm saying this to somebody who, who genuinely does like the game level design is where it really feels lacking because uh, I'll, I'll put up with the arm all day long i really will um if for that sense of place and, and it, to me it really does have a sense of place but i think what i was even a bit disappointed with at the time is that um I don't know. You, you, it feels like the other half of the island is where all the good stuff is. It feels like your <laughs> like your your critical path is like somehow the bit that they forgot about, and like they built all the cool stuff on the other side. It, it, it's difficult <laughs> to articulate, but like, yeah, it's. It, I suppose because they haven't quite committed to it being like a Romero style like roller coaster ride of experiences every like five seconds on the critical path. It's not quite that linear, but it's also not Far Cry. So yeah. it's just a it's effectively a really wide corridor shooter. Um, yeah. Cause in, in Far Cry, yeah, the first Far Cry which came out what a few years later also isn't an open world. It is wide outdoor corridors, but yeah. Like, you can tell yourself you're taking a different approach by, you know, oh, I'm going to head down towards the beach here and use the water, or I'm going to head through this brush up here. Like, you're taking different approaches to these difficult challenges, whereas in Trespasser, 
you're just choosing to walk in a different bit. Like it doesn't, you're either choosing to walk through the critical path and do the physics puzzles and stuff, or you're choosing to just miss them and not really have any experience. It doesn't really. Well, that's it. Far Cry also shows you, like Far Cry, every time you get to a new area, it will show you a thing. You will be probably high up in the grass. It will show you a thing down on the beach. It's either like a bunch of enemies or a gun emplacement or somewhere where you need to get to. But then there's like the the boundaries are so wide that you have, as you say, like at least the illusion of choice. Like all roads eventually lead yeah. down to Rome to this objective that you need to hit. But like you can snipe them from up on the hill or you can try and sneak up close to them and then stealth them. Or maybe there's a third way around. Maybe you can avoid them entirely. Uh, yeah. Here, it doesn't show you that there's a thing. You're not moving from like sequence to sequence or objective to objective. You're just moving along, and it, it yeah, I think that's why it, it has that walking sim <laughs> uh, quality to it because you all all yeah. you ever really have is just a vague sense of like I'm being channeled in this direction. It's not like I'm being channeled towards this next thing that I need to do. And I think, yeah, with with some more experienced level designers on the team, I think they would have used the you know the topography of the island a bit more to at least make it seem a bit more exciting to telegraph where you're going yeah. and and the idea that there's something meaningful about to happen when you when you arrive there, um, and that doesn't happen very much. Yeah, you think of the contrast of Half Life, which came out like a month later, and the way obviously has very different goals. Didn't try to build open environments but like it has that sense of constant flow you always know what direction you need to be heading in and you're always compelled to do it like it presents problems to you and you figure out how to solve them whereas trespasser yeah it's, it just feels like we've we've made a sort of thin thread of things throughout this environment that you follow along but We've also just got all this open space and the problems with that are compounded by the fact that moving is not very fun. Like it feels too simulated in in just the the walking around aspect. And when you get it wrong, like when you realise, oh, I actually needed a key card that's in a building on the other side of this compound, that's a miserable realization because you're just (laughs) back across that space and it takes forever you know i'd put a podcast on which i never do with games but i was like well this is i just need something to get me through this this walk yeah yeah i'll tell you what it feels like (laughs) to move around and and to interact with stuff in this game feels like you know have you ever heard people sort of describe the the like the movement in the armor games has been like a, a dishwasher with, or like a washing machine carrying a rifle. Do you know what I mean? You're like, just, the, <laughs> no. the, the camera movement is so awkward and like lumbering and like the way that the, your arms yeah. like pop into view in, at weird angles. I think this is the originator of that. So like, you know, the, the lineage goes back from, from armor three through the armor series down to the, the first operation flashpoint which had some of the most yeah. janky walking and running I've ever experienced. But Trespasser is like the, the OG. Um, it, yeah, it, yeah, it's it's pretty... Yeah. I wonder if even just a sprint button might have... You know, if, if you could move at quake speed, yeah. that might exactly, have helped yeah, like, quite a bit. I have so much love for that simulation approach and so much of the thinking that's gone into Trespasser, but you have to know when 
at what moments to abandon that, right? You know, you, you just need people to move at 30 miles an hour in a first person game. Like, yeah, if that's if your challenges are, uh, you know, incredibly spaced out in the way they are in Trespasser, then that's just what you need. Although, like, it does work when, when it comes to the combat, the fact that you can't move that quickly and you're sort of navigating these fast-moving dinosaurs, that adds to the fear and the drama of that. But everything Definitely. in between is just, uh, yeah, just made a bit of a struggle because of that. So that's our thoughts on on Trespasser. Um, maybe that's inspired you to play it for the first time or replay it if you're already a veteran of it. Uh, I'd be really interested to hear what the consensus is among among the listenership on this game. And if anybody is uh, yeah. thinking of going back for a replay, then please do let us know your your experiences with it. Um, yeah, I think it'd be fascinating to to hear about that. Um, so I think it's time for '90s Games Court and. As we said earlier in the episode, I think this is going to be one of the more uh, hotly debated um, bits of courtroom drama because I don't think you like it very much, Jeremy. So, how no, are, you know, this... are you feeling like defence or prosecution on this one? I'm. I've got to go prosecution. I think. I think with uh, with an understanding that it's. It was ahead of its time, and it has it has some wonderful ideas in there. I don't even think you can claim that it was influential necessarily, because I don't think I think people develop other developers looked at this game and said, "Oh, we don't want to be that." But ideas that it did attempt, other developers came to later independently, and proved that they were good ideas, that they were good concepts to chase. But, you know, for instance, Half-Life 2 had the gravity gun. It had a tool that made sense of interacting with this physics environment. It made it fun. It made it accessible. And as with everything in this game, Trespasser got halfway there and in many ways did a lot of the hardest work uh, to get to that point, but it didn't get close enough to make it um, consistently fun. You know, the fun is... Uh, less than fifty percent of the experience of Trespasser, I would say. So <laughs> I've got to, I've got to condemn on that basis. I'll, I'll, I'll certainly meet you halfway there. That fun is at a premium in Trespasser. It's not, it doesn't come into the equation very often. It's, it's, yeah, for me, it's an atmosphere piece, and I seem to talk about atmosphere so often when I'm trying to justify why I like games, and so that's probably the chief reason why I, why I feel inclined to defend it. And it's not really. You know, you've already mentioned that it's it's influential to a degree. Um, that's not really why I want to try to get it acquitted. I think hmm. I, I'm trying to think of other releases from around this time, like games like Wargasm, right? <laughs> which I, again came out around this time, about Christmas '98, which is utterly forgotten forgotten about. It's a sort of vehicular war sim, but with quite arcadey feel to it. 
mechanically it worked like pretty well. It was quite satisfying to be in a tank and fire at other tanks. There might have been mechs, there might have even been fighter jets and things like that. But there were like seven games like that that month. And yeah, and probably sticks in my mind because it had that name. Um, but like Trespasser, <laughs> Trespasser wasn't that. Everything, everything was broken in it, and it didn't feel very enjoyable to do anything in it. But like, there's still some. There's such depth to the world that it um, that you inhabit, even not from a level des- design perspective either. But like the. I guess the meaning of it, why you're there, and it really captured something of the enigma of Isla Sauna from the movie, and it definitely benefited from the fact that there is... A, I, I, this game would be absolute junk if Jurassic Park wasn't a thing, right? And, and there hadn't been a Lost World <laughs> movie, and it was just a, a game about like somebody that crash lands on an island and there are dinosaurs there. I wouldn't have any of this sense of place or atmosphere or meaning, but uh, but because Jurassic Park was like a huge cultural phenomenon in the 90s and these visionary developers and veterans from uh, animation and movies had pulled all these ideas into it and harnessed what they thought was so interesting about Isla Sauna. I've just I've just got to um, I've just got to die on that hill um, often literally. Uh, yeah, die on the, I, I, the mountain I, I, covered in velociraptors. Exactly. I think I think you know, I can only put it in woolly terms as always. Like it's about atmosphere and it's about immersion. I I never felt like I was on the battlefield in wargasm. I really feel like I visited Isla Sauna um in Trespasser. Yeah. So I'd always rather I'd always favour that sort of experience and deal with like a control system where you have separate like you hold down control to pivot the wrist and shift to pivot at the elbow and all this useless shit that doesn't really work than a game whose every mechanic is super polished and you know I've I'm familiar with it from the genre I've played it before I've I've honed it and perfected it and I feel really competent as I'm moving through the game but uh, you know the setting is the same setting that I've been playing you know seven times that month already so there's something yeah. in there, right? <laughs> yeah. I that's, mean, having, that's, having that played forms Trespasser, my defense. Yeah, I'm not going to forget this game, having played it. Like, there's there's absolutely no way I could. And it is like a fascinating artifact. When you look at System Shock, and that was, you know, almost as um, experimental and ambitious, and it worked out and inspired so many different games. And Trespasser was just taking that same approach a little further and it didn't come together, it didn't work out. But I agree with you, I'd rather we had more Trespassers and I don't think we get very many of them. Or maybe we do and they're buried on Steam, you know, in places where we never see them. Um, Certainly we don't get, you know, Steven Spielberg-backed projects like this anymore. Um, I think I think the the game that um, I've played recently that reminds me most of a sort of a, a modern day trespasser is Teardown, you know the uh, the mm. destructible yeah. environment game. And actually, to be fair, like I think it's in full release now. I was playing some of the earlier access builds where the physics were not not perfected, um, but like <laughs> I just loved being in a world where like I could 
I can get in a truck and I can drive that truck through a wall. And that's that's all I need. It doesn't matter if it feels a bit broken, which it did at the time. I yeah. can't speak for the full release. Like I just I'm glad that that game exists. It's super ambitious and like it can ne- because of the like the density of the particles and how many tiny particles things fall into. Like it's never going to feel completely realistic, but fundamentally it's just like a fascinating playground to to spend time in and uh and I'm, i'd rather it existed in broken form not that teardown is broken than didn't exist at all yeah i'm i'm glad that this curious object exists and is a constant source of uh fascination to us but um i think it's best that it exists in a in a jail cell is what i'm, what I'm saying <laughs> Judge Jeremy spoken. I couldn't get that one acquitted. I don't feel like I articulated. The problem is with the this. This is why again I'm surprised that I get work in in games. Is that my frames of reference and my like hierarchy of importance in games is so off and so weird. <laughs> I can only put it in terms of like atmosphere. Well, I don't really know what that even means. That um, that it's, it's very difficult for me to review a modern game <laughs> because like you know. Um, I'm, I'm looking at it from such a strange angle um, but yeah I, I think that's probably fair and I would imagine that most listeners would agree that this probably um, does deserve to to go to games jail I'm, I'm really sorry Trespasser I tried um, <laughs> that'll do it for this episode um, we hope you enjoyed it um, um, and yeah, Jeremy I hope that by now you've the wounds have started to heal after that vicious attack from um hollywood a-lister uh rare finds yeah i was able to uh, to put it out of my mind for a little while it'll be in the wee hours of the night that i that i think on it most i imagine <laughs> always the way um yeah get in touch with us on on the discord uh let us know what you thought about this episode and keep an eye out for any further announcements yeah vote for uh the winner of this uh, month's review was there'll be a poll on Twitter. Samuel will put that up once the episode's live. He will indeed. And you can follow Jeremy at uh, Jeremy D Peel at twitter.com. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow me and at Jeremy underscore Peel and you can follow Phil home uh, <laughs> if you see him in the street, because that's the only way that you can possibly communicate. <laughs> With you, you won't yeah. find him on the internet. No, I have popped in the Discord once or twice. I might have said something once. I always, I think I, I left a, a little picture that of, um, of my old beige PC playing Blade Runner, and I had a cup of tea. Maybe uh, steaming yeah, away we can, there. But we can yeah, quickly I've... disprove that with the search function if it's not true. We'll find out. <laughs> we could. It's not. It's not a deliberate thing. I really like. Uh, I do read through the Discord, and I, I, I love that. There's like. You know, you put this thing out, and then people actually like, oh god, they've listened to it and they like it, or they've said something about it. It's amazing. So I'm not trying to, you know, um, it's not that I think I'm above it. <laughs> That's not why I'm not chatting in there. <laughs> no, it's just how I you just, live. Um, it's, fine. it's just yeah. how I live. I'm, I'm extremely offline, so um, no offense uh, intended. But uh, no, it's, uh, it's enjoyed in the Discord as well. I think they like to imagine your um, your uh, deeply offline life. <laughs> It's a source of fun. <laughs> I recommend it. I really do recommend it to anybody. Uh, thank you very much for listening. We will catch you in the next episode, which is the series finale. It's Quake versus Half-Life. Should be a good one. So oh boy. definitely don't miss that one. Uh, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.